Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. Good morning, everyone. So as Dom mentioned, we are starting a new series this morning, and I am excited about it. Cool. So... (laughs) So when I was at secondary school, I was one of four Samanthas in my year group, and I was the only one of those four that was not a Samantha H. And so it was really quite confusing a lot of the time to try and work out which Samantha exactly anyone was talking about, because surnames are similar apart from oddball me that was a little bit different. But when we find ourselves in that kind of situation where people have got the same, a very similar name or maybe even the exact same name... How do we distinguish one Samantha, for example, from another? And I think that it's, we do that through each individual's story, don't we? So it might be that we have a conversation where we say, oh, which, which Samantha is that? Oh, you know, the one that lives over here and does these extracurricular things and has these friends and is good at this kind of stuff. And you work out from that exactly who is being spoken about. Makes it clearer. Our name and our story come together to define and explain who we are. You know, we had this almost exact scenario actually yesterday. We were in the car and Dom said, oh, did you know Other Dave has had this thing happen? And by him saying Other Dave, I knew it ruled out one specific Dave, but we know lots of Daves. And I was thinking, who is Other Dave? I know it's not that one, but who is it? Like, Dom, which which Dave are you talking about? He said, oh, you know, he goes to this church and he stayed at our house before and he's done this. I was like, ah, okay, other Dave, I know who you mean. So when you bring the name and the story together to work out who we're talking about. You know, we live in a country where there are lots of different religions, don't we? Lots of people following different faiths. Some of those are faiths with scripture and with doctrine, things like Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, those kind of religions. But, you know, some religions that people follow are unique to individual people. You know, a lot of people that we speak to would say they believe in God, but the God that they believe in is one that they've kind of constructed themselves from conversations they've had or experiences, thoughts and ideas they've gathered, and they bring them together to create almost this God that they worship that is their own individual unique God. And so when people speak of God, how do we know who they're speaking about? How do we know which God they're speaking about? How do we recognize our God when people speak of God? And we do that in the same way as with people. We recognize him from his name and we recognize him from his story. But in order to recognize our God, we need to know his name and we need to know his story. So over the next week, next eight weeks rather, that is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at what is the name of God? What does God's name say about him? What can we learn about his story? How do we recognize him? How do we know him more? And in order to know God more, we need to know what's written about him in scripture. So we believe that the Bible is the inspired work of God. And so we need to know what God is saying about himself. And so we're going to be looking through scripture and we're going to be looking at the names of God, but also the story of God, of his character and his nature, so that we can recognize our God and understand which God is it that we're talking about. You know, in scripture, uh, often names have 
a very important meaning to them as well. Either it's a meaning that um, speaks of someone's character or it speaks of something that God is calling someone to be. Um, and so we see that in, in Scripture, and it's very important. The name and the story come together. And we see that with the names of God as well. The names of God and the story of God are often in the same couple of words. And so this morning, we're going to look at um, three key passages of Scripture. I know three is a lot. I'm sorry, but I got overexcited. One Old Testament passage and two in the New Testament. We're going to look at the Old Testament one first. Uh, and then once we've learned a little bit together and we've built some foundation, we're going to go from there into the New Testament. Does that sound good? Awesome. So um, the first, I, you know, normally I've marked my passage, but I haven't done that today. So I'm going to have to find it while you're finding it. The first passage that we're going to look at this morning is in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to be looking from verse 4. Let me find it. Well, see, I was supposed to be giving you some context while you're all finding it. But actually what's happening is you're all watching me trying to find it. But it's all right. So some context here. So uh, we pick up this story and God's chosen people, the Israelites, they are in slavery in Egypt and they are crying out to God for help. They they just need him to rescue them. And then the story cuts quite abruptly to Moses. And Moses is, um, so he's an Israelite, but he was brought up in Pharaoh's household. Um, He killed an Egyptian, fled Egypt, and now he is, um, he's married and he's living out of Egypt and he's a shepherd. He's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And that is where we pick up with Moses. And we see, you know, we're in Egypt and they're crying out for help and then suddenly we're with Moses and he's just walking around with some sheep. Uh, it's a very different landscape all of a sudden. And Moses sees this burning bush and that, I guess, would have been probably quite a frequent sight, wildfires and that kind of thing. It's hot and it's dry. But this bush is not burning up to anything. It's just still burning. And so that intrigues Moses. And so that is where we pick up with Moses in um, verse 4, Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, when God calls to him. And we learn so much about the character of God in this next passage. I'm excited, obviously. Uh, So from verse 4, it says this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, so, uh, God starts to tell Moses some information so that Moses can identify which God is being spoken about. When, um, when God says here, uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the word God that he's using is a word Elohim, and it's not the name of God. It just means God. And it puts us in the same situation that I was talking about earlier that we find ourselves in. It's not really defining a specific God. It's just saying, I am Elohim. I am a God. And so we hear some of God's story from him so that we can start to understand in more detail which God are we talking about. And he's saying, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, Moses is living in a time like we are, where many gods are being worshipped. And so God uses this story to distinguish himself. He's saying, Moses, look, those stories that you've heard of the God of Israel, the God of Isaac and Jacob, all those stories you've heard, that is me. That is who I am. 
And so then we continue from verse 7. And it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have, um, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so God's telling more of this story. He's telling us more of who he is. He's a God who listens. He's a God who cares about his people, who wants to rescue them, who not only wants to bring them out of slavery, but wants to bring them into provision and prosperity. He's a God that wants to provide, and he's going to rescue, and we're getting rallied up here. What is God going to do? He's going to do something amazing. And then we read in verse 10, he says this, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this might come as a bit of a surprise. You know, God, he says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to rescue. And what might we expect a God to do in this situation? We might expect that a God would um, do some smiting, maybe. Or maybe come and just supernaturally, like, up all of the Israelites and put them over here in the promised land. Anything like that. Like, that's, that's what a God would do, isn't it? A God would just swoop in and rescue. But that isn't what this God chooses to do. It isn't part of the story of who this God is. The God of Abraham who cares and who listens and who wants to rescue, he also wants to partner with his creation to see his purposes come about. And we see this time and time again in scripture and I feel like I must have said it hundreds of times from this platform and I've heard it hundreds of times from various platforms that God wants to partner with us, that's who he is. The story of this God helps us, that helps us to identify who he is. He's a God who partners with his people to see his purposes come to pass. You know, sometimes God might not act how we would expect him to act. And we have to be very careful that we don't create a narrative in our own minds and our own life of who we think that God is. And we will all have our own experiences of God, definitely. We all have our own individual experiences of God. But we have to test those experiences and make sure, are they this God? Are they the God of the Bible? And the way that we do that is we read scripture, we understand who is this God? Is this thing that I'm experiencing, this call of God that I'm hearing, is it the call of this God? Does it match up with the God I read of in scripture? Because the thing is, sometimes, sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes things we think about what God may or may not do, or things that may or may not be in his character we're wrong about them sometimes and it can be so hard in that moment of realization to to humble ourselves and to realize actually it's okay that I'm wrong but I need to understand that God is right and I need to put aside my belief and I need to trust in who God is and that is that is hard because sometimes they're beliefs that we've constructed over a long time sometimes we are the people I spoke about um at the start people who have gathered together experiences and ideas and thoughts and really constructed a quite solid idea of who God is and then we read something in scripture that contradicts that and we have to take all that apart and go back to who is God because we believe the Bible to be the inspired work of God and so if for example our Bible says that 
God will choose to rescue the Israelites by partnering with Moses rather than swooping in and getting rid of the Egyptians, then that is the God that we have because it's in God's character to empower and to entrust his creation to outwork his purposes on earth. And no matter how much we think that a God should or should not do that, our God does do that. Our God is a God who partners. You know, the way we expect God to act and the way that God actually acts might be two separate things. But God is who his Bible says he is regardless of how we feel about it. And that is hard sometimes for sure. So from verse 11 it says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. When you have um, brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses is not super psyched about this either. Uh, He is not a big fan of the idea that he's going to get sent to Pharaoh to free the people. I can understand why. Um, And he says, who am I? Who am I that you would send me to, to Pharaoh? And what I think is really interesting here is that God doesn't actually answer the question that Moses asks. God doesn't reply by saying, Moses, you're going to be amazing. I I really have faith in you. You're really persuasive, and that's why I've chosen you. You're going to be amazing. God doesn't say that. He says, I am with you. Because the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter who Moses is. It matters that God is with him. And this is another characteristic that we get to learn of God's nature, part of his story, that he is with us. In any situation and circumstance that God asks us to step into, he is with us. It doesn't matter who we are. It matters that God is with us. Moses carries on. He's got more questions. He's got more questions. And Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God answers with this really important statement. He says, says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God is revealing something really important and fundamental about himself and his story and his character in this moment. I am who I am. How many of us can say that we are who we are? Actually, I, you know, I hear this a lot, and I say this a lot. You know, I am who I am. He is who he is. It is what it is. But the only thing that we are with any kind of consistency and reliability is inconsistent and unreliable. You know, it might say something about um, who we think we are, something about our character, maybe something about something that we're good at, we're bad at, something that we like, maybe. I was thinking about this. You know, I might say, you know, I, I'm, I'm laid back. I'm laid back wrong. Some of the time I'm laid back. If you've ever seen me at a quiz or playing a board game, you will know that, oh, not laid back, not laid back. You know, as I started to think, you know, what could I say that is part of my character that I could use as an example here? It was so hard because as soon as I started to think about the fact of how inconsistent I am, it made it nigh on impossible to pick anything that I thought had any level of credibility. I'm kind, but I'm not always kind. I'm generous, but I'm not always generous. I'm conscientious, but I'm not always conscientious. The only thing we are with any degree of consistency is inconsistent, but not God. When he says, I am who I am, he's right. 
whenever he says, whatever he says that he is, he is that thing consistently and in its entirety to its fully perfected and completed state. When God says that he has a characteristic or that he is something, he's, he not only has that characteristic, he is that characteristic. He's the embodiment and the perfected state of everything that he says that he is, every characteristic we see of him. You know, God isn't loving, God is love. God isn't merciful, God is mercy. God isn't just, he is justice. You know, we're only sometimes what we are, but God is always who he is. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. So one of the things we're learning about God is that everything that he talks about, everything that he says that he is in scripture, he is those things in, his entire, in their entirety. When he's a God who listens and who cares, he always listens, he always cares, he always wants to rescue. So, are we ready for some, for some Hebrew? Yeah, we are. I need some peppermint tea to prepare. Ooh. So, God's saying here, he's saying, I am who I am. And in the Hebrew, he's saying, Ehye Asheo Ehye. And Ehye is the word, I am. But it actually means I am and I will be into the future. And so God is saying that whatever he is now, he is that for all of eternity as well. But if you were to send Moses, and he does say, you know, Moses, go and say that I am has sent you. But it doesn't really work grammatically in the sentence, does it? If you're talking about someone else, you don't want to say I am. And so in verse 15, God gives him, Moses a slightly different statement for the words he has to say. And he says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So now that sentence makes sense. The Lord, oh, I've lost it now, worry. The Lord, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And that now makes grammatical sense and everyone's happy with that, which is good. But you might have noticed that there are some capital letters Lord is all capitals. It is in the version I've got. It is in the version that I copied and pasted. Uh, so we've got that in all capitals. And some of you may know why that is. I'm going to talk about that. But I learned something really exciting this week. And so maybe one or two of you, it might be new to you as well. So God says here in the, in the Hebrew, when he says, the Lord, the God of your fathers, he's saying Yahweh the God of your fathers. He is identifying himself as Yahweh. And the Israelites wanted that name to be sacred and holy, and they didn't want to speak that word. They didn't want to speak the name of God. And so whenever they came upon the word Yahweh in the scriptures, the title they would use for God was Adonai. And that is a word that is a title that means kind of Lord and Master. And they would use it in replacement of Yahweh because they didn't want to say that word. But they found themselves in a bit of predicament, really, because they didn't want to lose the name of God by just replacing it with Adonai and all the scriptures. So what they did was they took all of the consonants of Yahweh, which in our translations is Y-H-W-H, and they took the vowels of Adonai and they put them in, boop, 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 like that, and you get there, Yahweh. Yahweh. But they didn't say that word, when they came across Yahweh in the scriptures, they would say out loud, Adonai. It was just a reminder that that was to be replaced with Adonai. Are you following? Does that, have I made sense with that? 
miracle. And so when later on, some Christian scribes came along and they saw this Yahuwah and they didn't know that they weren't supposed to say it. And um, that's where Jehovah comes from. It's not a massive leap, I guess, to get from Yahuwah to Jehovah. Um, and so that's why that is a name that we have for God now, Jehovah. Um, but when we see Lord in all capital letters in our Bible, it is um, an English translation of almost exactly what the Israelites were trying to do all those years back, to replace the sacred name of God with something. That means we don't lose the fact that it's the name of God, but that it replaces Yahweh. So behind every Lord in capitals in our Bible is the word Yahweh. But you know, Bible names have meanings, don't they? We talked about that uh, at the start. We know that from many stories that Bible names have meanings. And remember we had Ehye, which means I am or I will be. But here we see God put the words into Moses' mouth for him to use. And he said that his name is Yahweh. And that means he is, he will be. So God's name, the name that he calls himself, Yahweh, means he is, he will be. Everything that he says that he is, he will be. Everything that, he, um, everything that he, we know about him, he is it and he will continue to be it. And that is the name of God, Yahweh. And so I was excited to find that out this week, that actually it's just a little grammar trick there. And uh, yeah, and that that's what God's name is. He is. And so in this statement from God, we see the name of God and we see the story of God come together. And that's how we identify people, isn't it? His name is He Will Be. And his story is the God of your father, the God in all of those stories that you've heard already, the God in all the stories that are yet to come. That God is who he is and who he will always be. Smooth. So, you know, the Israelites, we're shifting a little bit now, we're heading into the New Testament, but the Israelites have been promised a Messiah, been promised someone that will free them from their oppression, someone from the line of David who's going to come and save them. And they've been promised this Messiah all the way back since Genesis chapter 3, when uh, God says that the offspring of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. That is, that a human at some point will defeat the works of the enemy, the works of Satan. And we see lots of revelations about this Messiah all the way through um, the Old Testament. Lots of prophets talked about different things about the Messiah. Um, and as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised through the Old Testament. And so I want to show you something that I think is really cool about the name and the story of Jesus. Um, and we find that in the start of Matthew's gospel, uh, when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. And it's in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. And it says this. Um, but after he had... Con- oh, so what's happening is... should give it a context, shouldn't I? So um, Joseph and Mary are engaged. Joseph has just found out that Mary is pregnant and he is not quite sure that he's very happy about it. Um, and so in verse 20, it says, After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So there's a cool little nod there to Joseph being the son of David and the messianic line and how that comes from the 
line of David, like I briefly mentioned a second ago. Um, but it says that Joseph is to call this baby Jesus. And you may have a little footnote. May look, have a little footnote there. Um, the word, the name Jesus, is actually the Greek translation of the name um, Jesus, um, and the Hebrew or the Aramaic name that Jesus would actually have been given uh, was Yeshua or Yehoshua, and that's where we get the name Joshua from. It's kind of like if you think about a name such as like John, we say John. Uh, French people say Jean. Italians say Gianni. Um, I think some people say Ian. Um, like this just, um, I think that's right, like Celtic languages maybe, it's Ian or Ewan or Evan and all sorts of different names, but they're all John, basically. And that's what's happening here. All these names are the same. Jesus is Jesus, is um, Yeshua, is Yehoshua. They're all the same name. And so if names in the Bible have meanings, what is the meaning of this Hebrew name that was given to Jesus? Yehoshua. And it means Yahweh brings salvation. Um, but there are lots of Yehoshua's. Joshua is a relatively common name. Lots of people we know called Joshua. Lots of people in the Bible called Joshua. So how do we know which, who is this baby? How do we know which one he is? And we distinguish Jesus by his story, don't we? We distinguish Jesus by his story. And the angel gives Joseph just a little bit of what Jesus' story is going to be. He says he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name is Yahweh brings salvation. And his story is that he will bring salvation. And here we see that Jesus is Yahweh. This baby is Yahweh and he's come to dwell amongst his people to bring them salvation. Just as has been promised right back from the start of time. You know, Matthew's gospel is written for a Jewish audience. It's written for people who know the scriptures, know the Old Testament, who have been brought up on it, on the Psalms and on the prophets. prophets. And he brings in a lot of prophecies. We see that through Matthew's gospel because he's wanting to, when he's talking to these people who know the scriptures, he's saying, you know, this thing that you've known since you were a child, let me show you how this is fulfilled in this man, Jesus. Um, and we see that in um, the next two verses. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And the prophet here is Isaiah. This is found in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us, Yahweh on earth. And this sounds familiar, doesn't it? God with us, because back in the passage we just looked at, God says to Moses, I am with you. I will be with you. And we see here how God is with us through the ages. He was with Moses then and he's with, um, he's with us now and he steps into creation in this moment to be God with us in the flesh. But what does Jesus have to say about this? Because, you know, he grows up. He's not a baby forever, is he? He grows up and he has his own voice and he tells his own story. And so this is the second and the last piece of scripture that we're going to look at this morning. And it's in John chapter 8, uh, verses 48 to 59. And um, Jesus is being outrageous before this, um, before this bit of scripture. He, he's being outrageous. Uh, he is, uh, where are we? Je um, verse 48. He's just making some claims about himself. He's just, yeah, he's being outrageous to the point where the people who are speaking to him say this. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Like, 
he's got to be saying some pretty outlandish things to them to claim that he's demon-possessed. He says, are you you demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my Father, and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this point, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. That should be a very familiar phrase to us from what we've just looked at in in Exodus. Jesus is speaking the words that God spoke to Moses from within the burning bush. He is using the divine name of God to relate to himself. Jesus isn't just claiming to have been around since before the birth of Abraham, which in itself is is pretty wild, isn't it? Abraham at this point had been dead 1,800 years, and Jesus is saying, I've been... I've seen Abraham, I've been alive from before Abraham, but he uses the words that God calls himself for himself. Jesus is claiming here to be Yahweh. He's claiming to be the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the God who heard the cry of the Israelites and wanted to rescue them, the God who cares and who listens and who empowers and who sends. He is the Yahweh that brings salvation. That's what he's claiming. And as Christians, we, we believe him. We believe that he is all those things. But for the Jewish people listening at the time, this would have been the highest level of blasphemy. The highest level of blasphemy. Jesus isn't just claiming to be a God. Jesus is claiming to be their God. He's claiming to be the God they know by name as Yahweh. And we, we know that um, the Jewish people understood what he was saying because in verse 59, it says this, at this they picked up their stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They knew what he was claiming to be and they were going to stone him for it. But what, what we know and what we see and what we believe as Christians is that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is this God with this name and this story and that every name that is given to God through the scriptures, every one of them is given to God the Father and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Everything that we learn of God's nature is also Jesus' nature. It was and it is and it always will be. And so over the next few weeks as we explore all the different, well, many of the different names of God through scripture, each one of them applies to all parts of the Godhead because they are all Yahweh. But what does that now, you know, we're going to learn that over the next few weeks, but what about today? What's that good for, for us today? I think for me, it's, a really, it's been a really good reminder that it, how important it is to know who our God is, to know his name and to know his story and to be able to tie those things together, to recognize our God and the responsibility that we have in that relationship to get to know our God. But I think it's an encouragement as well that God is always who he says he is. 
that when we read of God's love and his mercy and his grace towards us, God is always those things. He's not inconsistent and unreliable like we are, but he is consistent in everything that he says he is. I think that's a real encouragement for us today. But it might be that, as I've been speaking this morning, this God that I've talked about, this Yahweh, is not someone that you've ever thought about knowing or that you've ever known. And there's an opportunity for each of us to get to know this God, to know who is our God, who is the God of the Bible. And so we're going to pray a prayer together this morning that just gives each of us an opportunity to step into that relationship for the first time, to say, do you know what? This God sounds amazing and I want to know more about him. I want to give my life to Jesus, give my life to God. And so we're going to pray that and then I'm going to pray into a few of the things that we've spoken about this morning. So let's read this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your grace to forgive me and your love to change me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please forgive me for the sin in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. With your help, I will live my life for you. Amen. Amen. So let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. And if for the first time this morning you've prayed that prayer and you have meant it, you have said, you know, Jesus, I want you to be part of my life. I want you to rescue me, be my Saviour and be my Lord. I'm just going to give you a second just to put your hand in the air if that's you this morning. And uh, one of our team will come and have a chat with you and pray with you about what that decision means. Lord, we thank you that you are, that you always will be, that who you say you are, you are. And we can trust in that, Lord. Thank you that you are consistent. Thank you that you are never changing. Thank you that you are full of all goodness and love and grace and mercy towards us, Lord. Lord, I pray that each of us this morning will be, will feel encouraged and inspired to just know you more, to understand more of who is this God, who is our God. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us along that journey. Not just a journey that lasts today and this week, but a journey that lasts until the time when we see you face to face, learning more about who you are. Lord, I pray that we're all encouraged this morning by the fact that you are a God that we can rely on, a God that we can build our lives on, a God that doesn't shift and change underneath us, but that we can build a solid foundation, a solid foundation that we can build on. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, as we know you more, our response to that is to worship you, is to give you glory and, and honor. And Lord, I pray that as we as we worship you this morning in song, that you would be glorified, that you would um, enjoy our praises this morning, Lord. Amen. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.